0: You're listening to the Real Estate Investing Podcast with Dante Belmonte, here to help you start or continue your journey in real estate.
1: Each episode, we bring
0: you a different expert real estate investor who will share the secrets to their success so you
1: can learn and benefit from their experience. Let's jump right into it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. Today with us, I'm going to butcher it, Felipe Mejia. Did I get that right? Hey,
0: that was really good. Yeah, you got, okay. It. You got it. Okay. I'm, I'm born uh, in the South, so you can imagine people here
1: slaughter that last night. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. So, Felipe, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show this evening. Would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure,
0: absolutely. So, my name is Felipe Mejia. As I mentioned, I'm born and raised in the South. Um, I have a family here, me and my wife, and we have a two-and-a-half-year-old son who takes up all of my time and all of my energy. I love him to death, He is uh, probably one of the main reasons that I am as successful as I am in regards to real estate, simply because he has made me transition from just a regular investor who tries to do everything to be more passive, uh, simply because I want to spend more time with him. Um, A little bit about me Um, what I do is I invest in real estate here in the South. I have eight single family homes. And what I do is I convert them into multifamily, basically, um, without actually changing them into a multifamily. Standards, I guess you could say, but what I do is I buy a three bedroom, one bath home, and I add three bedrooms, one bath downstairs, uh, potentially renting it to one family upstairs, one family downstairs, or buy the room to traveling professionals. Um, So we have seven or no, we have eight properties now with um, typically between six and eight tenants per property. So you can do the math there, right? Quite a lot of moving parts, Uh, but we love what we do. Um, We're we, we grow cash flow pretty quickly, um, but not having to buy tons and tons of structures, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that does. I'm super, super excited to kind of get into that because I always like when people take unique investing strategies and make them their own and put their own little touch on them or even stuff that you we really don't hear about all the time in podcasts or on forums. So I'm like, super excited to dive deep into that. Uh, two things I want to get out there just to kind of give some people... Uh, yeah. Uh, a little roll for what they're in for. Uh, first off, I believe you have a special announcement. I'm going to let you use this moment to go for that. Yeah, absolutely. So
0: we um, are going to be launching a new podcast um, with Bigger Pockets, Real Estate Rookie, and we're really excited about it because we're going to be interviewing real life people. When I say that, I mean regular, average investors um, who don't have you know millions and millions of dollars worth of real estate who maybe have uh, you know, six or seven deals and are, are just growing their portfolio, who are still um, you know, down to earth type of people, not jumping off of jets or whatever. Um, so that podcast is gonna be really, really sweet and it's gonna be for the uh, rookies uh, in, out there in real estate who are really just trying to grow their portfolio, bootstrapping it one at a time, still out there in the grind.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for that. Your uh, co-host, Ashley Kerr, she was, if you're listening to this now, was on the podcast last week. Two awesome people. She's not too far from me. Really excited to for you guys to get some more traction through that, get some more exposure. And really looking forward to, you know, just that type of investor versus the, you know, the Grant Gardone or you, like you said, someone that's jumping out of a, you know, a helicopter an airplane or something like that. So that's exciting. And again, just kind of get people you know, rolling for what they're in store for, for this podcast, Uh, you have a very specific story that I'm not going to let come out naturally. I'm just going to tell you to tell it right now. So uh, if you want to go for that, I'd be very happy with that.
0: I'm assuming you're talking about the mobile home story. I am talking about the infamous mobile (laughs) home story. (laughs) This story has seemed to have made me famous in regards to mobile homes before mobile homes were a thing or cool or anything, but I'll tell the story. Before I get to that, man, I just want to thank you for what you're doing in regards to podcasting and real estate. You know, it's it's um it's still new, I believe, and uh, you know, I love I love everyone who is starting podcasts or doing podcasts just simply because you're adding value to tons and tons of people. Sometimes you won't even hear about it, but you know, you guys change tons of lives, and so I'm excited to start being on the other side of the mic, if you will. Um, so super excited about that. But I'll get to the story. <laughs> so when I graduated high school. My mom gifted me a mobile home on this lot that holds about—I think it has like 60 lots—and she just gave me one. Um, and I just used that to get through college and get some cash flow and things like that. And I really, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it really taught me about real estate and life and just money and the whole bit. Um, 2012 um, in May, 2012. I was coming back from college where I had gone <clears throat> and I was headed to my mom's house for just breakfast. I think it was, uh, growing up in Latino, Latino home. That's why we go home. Right? We go back to eat. So I was driving home, and I passed by that mobile home lot. Um, and I really had felt something in my spirit that was telling me like, Hey, Felipe, you know, this is, that's a good deal there. And like, I had no idea what I was even thinking. I wasn't in, in real estate at all. I had one mobile home. I just lived there. That was it but I really had felt something in my spirit. It's kind of one of those things where God is like tugging at you to go do something. And I saw that mobile home that, that I felt like I was supposed to, and it was lot six. I'll never forget. And, uh, I said, no, I just, I was like, yeah, no, man, just kept driving. Didn't even think about it. Happened again the very next weekend I was coming home, uh, headed to my mom's house. I always go the same way. And I saw the mobile home again and something in my spirit just said, Hey dude, go check this property out. No Um, like just no history with real estate, nothing. I wasn't knowledgeable about it. So what I did was I, um, I finally just mustered up the courage and stopped by and was like trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, the gentleman that was there, um, I asked him, you know, Hey, are you selling your mobile home? I own lot 20 up the road, right from you. Um, he said, sure. He said, if you give me 3000 bucks, I'll give you the mobile home. So just to clarify 3000. I didn't know if that was a good deal, a bad deal. I didn't know about inspections. I didn't know nothing. So I told him, sure. And on a handshake, um, I bought the property with no money in my hand. I shook his hand and said, all right, I'll get the money. No idea what I was doing. Lord, make this happen. I was like, God, you send me here. You better provide the finances. Yep. Now I had a thousand bucks in my pocket and I told uh, the guy, I said, all right, I'll I'll be back soon with the money. And I had two days before I went back to college. So I went to my mom, (laughs) who else, right? I went to my mom and said, hey, I, I want to buy this mobile home. The first one you gave me does really well cash flow. I think this would do the same. Um, granted, I'd never looked inside the property. I only met the guy at the front door. <laughs> um, so my mom let me borrow the money. Um, and that's when I bought it literally sight unseen. Um, I was like, okay, now what? I, I don't recommend this to anybody. Please don't do what I did. It's just-
1: this, isn't, this is for amusement only, not investment advice. This is not investment
0: advice at all. Anyways, so yeah, I ended up buying the property um, and it was in terrible condition. Only one room was livable. The poor guy, I, I don't even know who he is. I probably just took the money and ran. Um, I talked to the, the, the owner of those lots and he said that he was going to take the property from him because he hadn't paid rent in a couple months. So he mm-hmm. was happy that I bought it because I was going to start paying rent. The other guy was happy that I bought it because he took you know three grand and bounced really. I don't know what happened to him. Um, and now I had a mobile home that I had to work on. So what I did was I moved into the master bedroom, made it livable. It was the only part of the house that was livable. And then on the weekends, I was going to start working on the rest of the house to rent it out or the rest of the mobile home. It was a three, no wait, Yes, yeah, so it was a three two is three bedrooms, two bathrooms, really nice. Um,
1: oh, it three thousand—that's really that's, that's steal, yeah. man. <laughs> Let me tell you, I can't uh, even redo okay. a bathroom for three grand sometimes.
0: <laughs> no, it was terrible. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go ahead and fix this up slowly, but surely. But I had no money. I was in college. I was working Saturdays with my stepdad, you know, laying flooring, and then Sundays I'd go to church, and then when I got out, I'd work on the property for six hours or something like that, and then go back to school. I wasn't making any grounds on it. Um, but i knew that that's what i was going to be supposed to be doing so i did um may 2012 comes uh nashville has the floods You can google mm-hmm. may 2012 in nashville we had you know nashville literally got flooded millions and millions of dollars worth of damage um including my mobile home <laughs> i didn't even have it for a full month before the home flooded um and i mean like up to up to my like my waist in water in the in the house and i was still in college when this happened um when i came back the mobile home was flooded um i think all my book all my college books were ruined my um, macbook pro was ruined actually <laughs> that thing still worked uh even when it got submerged i picked <laughs> thank it up you steve jobs oh, my <laughs> gosh that thing still worked it was ridiculous anyway so i was scared out of my wits i didn't know what i was gonna do rent was still due technically that trailer was still on the lot so i knew i had to pay for it um bills are going to start coming in very soon and um because
1: when you all while help, you're all still while in college I'm right
0: exactly all while i'm still in college oh, man um it was like the last last couple of weeks of college it's in may um and, and granted no money coming in and i still had to pay the lot fee so what ended up happening was um <clears throat> i got advice from my mom to call fema because they were in the area checking out houses and helping people making sure people were getting food and water and um, they came out and said, hey, was this your personal residence? And I was like, yeah, yes, it was. I was like, "Here, my college books, everything's ruined, whatever. Did a really quick walkthrough, took the VIN number of the, of the mobile home. I didn't even know mobile homes had VIN numbers. <laughs> kind of like Neither VIN did I, VIN I VIN until VIN. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a vehicle. They have a VIN number that goes with each. Uh, it's on the, like the bottom structure of the mobile home. But anyways, um, the FEMA gentleman uh, got down my information and said, all right, well, thank you, sir. We'll, we'll, um, you know, we'll try to you know, give you uh some financial support during this time uh, he's like how much is the lot fee I was like the lot fee is 350 he goes okay and then he left and that was it he took my notes on an ipad and left and i was like oh maybe they'll give me 350 that would be amazing i was like super excited to get that um <laughs> i remember uh, about a month later my mom fronted me that month's rent and I was headed up to the get my mail. I hadn't done much with the property. I was I was I'm in June, so I was going to start working on it, but I was saving up capital to do so. I was literally going to have to gut the thing. I was really upset with the Lord. I was like, God, you, I feel like you told me to do this. What the heck is it like this? I was just really upset. Um, and then, like I said, I went to the mailbox, pulled out a government check. Now. Government check is basically the same as the tax return. I saw in the mail. I was like, oh, wow, FEMA came through. This is awesome. Granted, there was no communication with FEMA. There's nothing else after you talk to the guy. And um, I opened the check and I started like opening it. And I don't know if you know an envelope, I don't have one here, but you can see that little plastic part on the mm-hmm. middle yep. where you can kind of see, you know what I'm talking about? So I pulled it out and I could start seeing the numbers and I saw a three and a zero. And I was like, oh yes, I got 30 bucks, like gas money, right? So, yeah and I just kept going and because I had ripped it sideways and I kept going to pull it out and then I saw 300 and I was your lot fee yeah Oh yeah I was like I almost started crying I was like thank god I got my lot fee paid for this is awesome I have another month of life basically this was great so then I kept sliding the checkout and it was 3000 and I was then then I was really in shock I was like $30,000. So that's what I paid for it. I was like, somehow they found out how much I paid and they gave me that. And, and by that time, I mean, I, I was almost running back to my car cause I wanted to go uh, deposit the check. Obviously I knew, <laughs> now that I think about it, I'm like, I don't know why I was running government checks. Aren't going to be bad. <laughs> Can you imagine Dante if it, bounced? Oh man. Yeah. So that's not it. When I took it all the way out, um, come to find out it was a $30,000 check from fema oh uh, man that they what they had done was they pulled the value of that mobile home when it was built and the purchase sale of it and gave me 100 wow. on that property mind you i Amen. bought it for three thousand and i made 30 grand on it, and it was something tells grand. me
1: you are a tither
0: <laughs> absolutely i definitely believe in malachi 310 um and definitely understand where the bible talks about my tithe so, my man oh so, yeah uh, it became a $30,000 but uh, $30,000 return. I, I mean, what is that in percentage? It was that like a hundred percent. I don't
1: even know what that, what that looks like. We're just going to go with infinite. We're just going to go with return
0: And that mobile home has so much stories behind it, Dante. It's crazy because, um, and I can go into the, basically I, I brought the money. I kept half the other half. We invested back in the mobile home. Obviously we tithed on it. Um, and we, and it's been a great, it's still in our family to this day, that mobile home. Um, A bunch of golden goose. (laughs) Oh, dude. It's great. It's been, it's been Airbnb. It's been rented. It's right now it's got full tenants in it. It cash flows like a thousand bucks. It's, it's been a great, probably never let go.
1: That's, that's awesome. So folks, you heard it, you know, the, the infamous story from Felipe Mejia butchered it. Um, no, I love that story though. And I think that's such a good start because it really describes where you came from. It it does a few things and that's why I want to start with it. One, it's it's a really attractive story, so it gets people kind of going. Two, it shows that when you started real estate investing, you just you didn't know, you didn't know about inspections, you know, or how to do this. You you did sight and scene, you went in and just bought it, and then also it kind of goes to show off of you know your character. You could have told the you know the lot manager or the FEMA or whoever it was, oh you know I lost this much money on it. You know you could have lied and and hoped for the best, but you didn't. So again, that shows your character. And that is one of the reasons why I want to have you on the show because I, you know, I see you on Instagram, I encourage you on other podcasts. I just like it; it sets off a good vibe with you. So I think that's a really good start to the show. Absolutely, man. Well, like I said,
0: it's definitely a hundred percent true story. There's no way I can make that up. Um, and yeah, I think it's a big testimony to uh, the character that I, and you know, back then I didn't know it, but I've kept those values through and through, and I think it's what's made me a successful real estate investor. trusting my gut, trusting my spirit, trusting, you know, the things that I know to be true and just following through with that. I've, I've, I've chased that, you know, that home run ever since then.
1: Right. And you'll probably never see this book get shown on real estate investing podcast because it's so faith driven, but right here, the blessed life, Robert Morris, if you haven't read it, read it because it's, it's basically, you know, it, it goes kind of hand in hand, what you just told. And it's, it's really good about, you know, giving and donations and tithe and going above and beyond offering stuff like that just religious side of things but obviously this isn't a religious podcast we're not going to get into that yeah. what i do want to get into though is these single families that you're buying and you're converting them yeah. basically into duplex so, so tell me a little sure. bit tell us a little bit about that right so at first
0: i was chasing money if that makes sense i was chasing riches and not wealth and there's a difference Um, In that, We can get into that later if you'll remind me. We'll talk about that. But let me answer your question regarding the houses. What I do is I buy a single family home that's got a 3-1 with a downstairs loft and a two-car garage. I'd love to meet the builder who decided that that was a good idea (laughs) in the 70s because I don't know anybody who would buy that and who it works well for
1: is this like a split level ranch is that what it really is
0: yeah it's a split level ranch typically the downstairs is below the ground so like the bottom window you can see the dirt your eye level with the dirt okay and it's got like a like a 15 by 30 or 20 by 30 like bonus room and it's just a huge massive room with a two-car garage beside like i don't understand it um or what it was used for (laughs) So what I do is I go in and add two bedrooms, an extra bathroom in one side where the two bedroom, where the big loft was or bonus room, whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. in the two car garage. What I'll do is I'll add a kitchen, a bathroom and a, and a true master bedroom because there's not wow. a true master upstairs. Um, so I essentially create, if you got, if your listeners can visualize it, I create a three, one upstairs, which is already there. And
1: then I create a three, one or a three,
0: two downstairs as the, uh, second portion of the house.
1: So just help them visualize this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. So you basically yeah. walk in the front door, steps going to upstairs, and steps going to downstairs. Correct? Exactly.
0: That's exactly okay. where it is. Yep. And we get a lock on both ends with a keypad, and uh, my tenants can, you know, they each have their own code, and they can get to, you know, their respected areas of the home. No problem. I've never had an issue. Um, so I've never had to put like cameras or anything like that. It's always been pretty, pretty. Everyone's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty adult about things. Um, And yeah, so the upstairs typically pays for the mortgage, the bills, everything. And then I just cash flow the downstairs, typically about $1,500 per property.
1: Wow. So are these properties single metered on everything? You know, uh, gas, electric, uh, water? Yeah, absolutely. Every single one is, um, I I don't split
0: that out so that it's not a true multifamily. Taxes are different. There's different insurances. There's just a lot more that goes into creating properties. But in my city, and this you have to check this with the laws of every city in my area, I'm allowed to, if I have two dwellings, that's not considered a multifamily, um, what I can do is I can put uh, three up and typically three or four down. But if you are a member, like if me and you are brothers, we still only count as one family. Mm. So if I have a brother's renting two different rooms, then I can still add more people to the room. But I just wow. have to
1: make sure that I'm within the laws of my city. Right. Now, are you doing long-term rentals on these, or is it a mix of long-term, short-term Airbnbs, by the room? So I
0: cater to a very specific um, type of individuals. Basically, what I do is I look for my traveling professionals, and no, I don't mean nurses. Typically, that's what comes to mind when people hear that. Yes. They tend to forget that there's also traveling professionals in regards to uh, construction. For example, there's tons of construction going on here. And a lot of them um, come from other states with their bosses, if you will. So, if okay, what market are you in? Just Nashville. Sorry, so I'm okay. the Nashville market. Yeah. So, if for instance, I get a contract to do work here in Nashville and I'm from Texas or something, um, I'm not gonna come here and hire the guys here. I'm gonna typically bring my own crew if it's a two, three, four year contract or 10 year contract to build a building or whatever. I'm usually going to bring my own guys so I don't have to retrain people. Right. Especially right. if they have certificates to drive cranes or drive certain machinery, whatever. So those are also considered traveling professionals because they are proficient to a certain, you know, whatever, oh, yeah. whatever their job is. So what I do is I cater to those gentlemen. Um, a lot of them are coming from Texas. They'll stay for two to five years, depending on their contract. I do not put them on a lease. It's month to month. Um, but mm-hmm. my rents are about five hundred dollars a room, so you can do the math.
1: Wow! So that that's again, that's a different approach. I like that a lot because you're you're looking for you know traveling professionals. And again, you say traveling professionals, you think doctor, or nurses. You know, you're not. You're looking for construction workers or contractors who are coming from out of the area. Blue collar. Yep. Um, yeah, ex- yeah, exactly, blue collar collar workers. And Nashville, I have a buddy that moved there not too long ago. It's a very up and coming area. There's a lot going on. Um, it's a very lively area too, and there's constantly, you know, infrastructure being built in that area. When you're buying these properties and you're you're transforming them in basically a two-family, are you looking for dilapidated, you know, structures or just properties that need a lot of work or is it minuscule, a very minimal amount of work? How's that look? So
0: typically, and I say typically because I'm in a really rough one right now, typically it takes about fifteen thousand dollars in thirty days to add uh three bedrooms two baths downstairs because the structure is already there in place for example um the bonus room that i was telling you has two beams that go down that hold the house up if you will what Mm -hmm. i do is i run i run two by fours right down the middle of those two and i split the rooms right there so we've got it down to a science i mean how we you know how we add the value to these properties um one thing that I've encountered right now in the one that I'm doing recently has, it's going to take me about probably right at two months and an extra five, so probably closer to 20 grand to build it out. And it shouldn't have, but the reason it did was because the sewer line is so weird.
1: Oh, this is what the I saw in your story.
0: Line, oh my gosh. The sewer line is going to the back of the house and to the back of the house, there's a mountain. So it's, we all know water doesn't go upstream <laughs> no, never <laughs> so and so the mountains like this and the water is going you know it has to be at a level downwards um, so they went down like 10 feet um, and still don't have it level so we're gonna have to add a pump we're gonna have to add a six foot hole inside Ugh. the garage it's a nightmare um, and it's just something I've never encountered and that's okay I'm gonna get through it it's just it, it's just it just sucks I mean it puts me back a little bit
1: Right. I, I mean, I, I love that attitude. You're like, it's okay. I'm going to get through it because this is what I signed up for. You know, this is the investment. You, you know what you're in store for. And not every property is going to be a complete home run where you're just going to go in. You're going to put your two by four down the hallway, split the room, put a kitchen in the garage, put some doors with some, you know, locks, call, it a, day. Logs, call it a day. Right. So I like that attitude where someone else is just like, oh, I right, throw in the towel. I'm going to quit. You know, I just ran into a huge issue. What am I going to do? I'm going to foreclose on the property. I'm done. I'm going to die. You know, <laughs> I like, you don't <laughs> take that approach. That's good. Where did this idea though come from where you're splitting these split levels? Like did one day you just walked in here and one of these properties and you're like, Oh my God, I can totally make, I could, did you have a vision or I'm just, I'm flabbergasted. (laughs) You need to (laughs) tell.
0: So I was asleep and God took me to heaven and he showed me, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, It actually comes from a sad story. Um, When I was 11 going to 12 years old, my parents got divorced. And with that um, went the money, right? So traditionally Latino home, My mom kind of took care of us, did side jobs if she wanted to, but basically it was my dad who really had the money. So when my parents got divorced, my dad took the money, (laughs) Mm. Um, left the house to my mom for the kids, but took the money. So we had one of those homes that I'm telling you about. We had a three bedroom, one bath upstairs with a big bonus room downstairs and a two car garage. So what did my mom do? She converted the downstairs into a uh, mini, two mini apartments. Mom has uh, one, two, three, four. Mom has four bedrooms, one bathroom, two kitchens in her downstairs. And she wow. works it out for, for about 1600 So that kind of helped us stay above water after my parents' divorce. We were never hungry or we were never struggling, but I like to put it at, I, we always had the water at our neck like mm. we we're never never not with whatever we needed
1: but it was a constant reminder like oh it's ruined. right it was right there for you if anything major happened it, it, you know it's it's drowning it done.
0: yeah yeah exactly um so that was that's kind of where i got the idea of um house hacking 10x basically
1: you know? yeah i mean you're just taking it to a whole new level how much is the square footage in this downstairs area that your mom's throwing in two kitchens four bedrooms you know that's that's a lot of surface area essentially in, in one area sure so it's got
0: to be 1600 square feet the reason i say it's got to oh. one i've never measured it but the, it's literally the exact same size as the upstairs. And typically, I buy 15 to 1800 square foot homes that have these bonus rooms and, and two car garages downstairs, blow out the middle wall and just create that. What we do is. And that
1: square footage isn't accounted for
0: garage wise. Nope. So when I buy a house, I buy 1600 square feet of livable space and add 1600 downstairs. So I'm literally wow. buying basically two homes for the price of one. You're a smart cookie. She's been doing this since the, since the early 90s. This woman's a saint. She did this and she did the mobile home for you and she's covering lot fees. This lady's a saint. You have no idea. She has the heart as big as all my rental properties. Um, she <laughs> <laughs> seriously, man, she's got a huge heart. Um, so yeah, she definitely taught us how to do or how, taught me how to do that just by out of necessity. Um, so yeah, she, she's, she's definitely the one to, to thank for that.
1: Awesome. So what are you doing for financing on these properties? Are you doing private lenders? You doing commercial mortgages, just conventional in your name, or how are you going about these properties?
0: Right. So, um, I just got have a good relationship with a small bank here in Nashville. Um, and basically what I do is if I can bring 20% down, they've understood the model. So if I bring 20%, then they're good to go. Um, one of the things that I did was I paid off one property in cash and I got a line of credit on that property. Nice. Uh, the value of it. And then I just use that as my down payment.
1: There you go, a 3,200 square foot credit card.
0: <laughs> I basically awesome. just use it. Uh, and then the cash flow pays back the line
1: of credit, rents, wash, repeat. Okay. So you're basically, you know, you've built a relationship with this local lender. So therefore, they're very comfortable with you. They're like, oh, here's Felipe coming in again. It's, you know, the same model, the same deal. Let's just lend to them on it. Are you lending through an LLC or are you just doing it through your personal?
0: I'm just doing it through my personal name this year specifically though is when we're gonna do the big tax turnaround. Um, I hadn't seen a big reason to do it back when I first started a couple of years ago uh, but now as I'm getting up in loans, banks are starting this even our my bank is like, hey, you know' it's, we need to do a little bit more um, background on everything, making sure we're not over leveraging with one person right so they want to see each property individualized in their own LLC. They want to see, you know, the PNL uh, uh, profit and loss. So a PNL for yep. each property, they want to make sure that they can see uh, how each property individually is performing, not as a whole. You know, It's not that one property is holding up two because that would be bad for business. They want to see that every property can individually hold its loan. So this year is going to be the year to be fixing all my taxes and make sure that everything is the way banks want to see it what, what right. we call bankable where you as an individual are now bankable um, per your taxes, credit, credit score. Yeah. So this is just
1: a year of you just kind of cleaning everything up, making sure. Cause I know when you get to that, like nine or 10 property standpoint in the portfolio, banks are kind of like, all right, you know, we got to change this up. We're, we're, and you yeah, said, serious, we, yeah. Right. You're a seasoned investor, but we're starting to get over leveraged here. So we got to see it kind of spread out a little bit. Okay. Exactly. Talk to me numbers on these properties. What are they performing at as far as cap rates? What's the cash on cash you're getting? Sure. So basically what I do, and I, I want to,
0: I love, I love the acronyms that we use, uh, but something that I'm learning and that I'm realizing is that half the time listeners get lost in those acronyms. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to really break down the numbers so that your listeners can kind of understand exactly what I do and how I do it. Please do. Yeah, absolutely. So what I do is very easy. I buy a $200,000 home. I put down 20%. um, And the way that I know that it's a good deal for me is I have to buy it under market value and I have to make sure that the equity that I'm going to get at closing is not going to surpass the construction cost to build out the downstairs. You
1: follow me? A little bit. You kind kind of lost me there just to be honest. Yeah, sure. Okay.
0: So if I buy a $200,000 home, Mm -hmm. it has to be worth market value two twenty because I'm going to know I'm going to invest at least 15 to 20 grand to build out the
1: downstairs. Gotcha. Okay.
0: Add more cash into it than what the market value tells me that house is worth. So that's my, that's my, um, my line, if you will, of knowing how much I'm going to put
1: into it. Right. So you're never truly upside down in the home value. There you go. And from there
0: I can put a line of credit on it because I've forced appreciated the property. Use that money to buy the next property. Most people burr, so they'll like to refinance and get their money out. Right. But I see it better to get a line of credit because I'm not paying interest on the money until I use it. With a burr, okay. the next month you're paying interest on it, whether it's right. 100 bucks, whether it's whatever. My line of credit, I'm only going to use the money I need down to the penny and only pay interest on the money that I
1: need down to the penny. Right. And what's that interest look like on a, a HELOC?
0: It's typically the same as a BRR. I mean, I can get it. it just depends on what it's doing that month, 3%, 4%. My latest one was like a five, two. So even though rates are down, banks are charging a little more because of the amount that
1: I have. Right. But again, it only comes down to when you're actually using it.
0: Exactly. I don't pay anything until I use it. So I could guarantee one for five years and I'm in application for another one for 10 years. So if we go in a downturn in the next 10 years, I'll have liquid, literally liquid cash from the bank to purchase rental. Properties. No,
1: it's awesome. It's safe too.
0: While still using the money that I have now as an investment and not having to hoard cash where most people are hoarding cash. Um, I'm able to deploy it and be able to use it without having to pay interest on it. Yeah, that's, that's smart. Original question. Um, so the rental properties that I have, uh, 200,000, the equity in it at closing has to be more than the construction that I'm gonna do or use to build out the downstairs. The <clears throat> the return is usually about fifteen hundred dollars per property. The lowest one I have does about a thousand. Um, and we have seven closing
1: on the eighth one next month. That's awesome. Okay. So that's that's a pretty solid plan. And I also like how you're doing the HELOC for Sorry. those. So and from those numbers you told me, you're basically, you're in the property for what it sounds like about 55,000 because you're doing 20% down on the 200, then you're doing 15,000 worth of repair. But your cash flow is pretty stinking solid, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, the, the the method that you're using and the way you're presenting this property, uh, it makes for great numbers. I mean, the cash and cash return, I don't know what that number is off the top of my head, but it's fairly high, it's above the average, of what most people are seeing. On- I think it's closer to 27, 30-ish, depending on what we do. Beat that Um, stock market. market.
0: Yeah, exactly. No, no. Definitely like five, six times what the stock market does per rental property. And then a lot of people ask me about cash reserves. Now, like I told you, I don't have to have that much in cash reserves. because I have a line of credit per property that holds itself Mm. up. Literally, the the property is its own uh, cash reserves with the line of credit. The cash flow comes to me. All the tax incentives come to me. and then I'm able to uh, you know, reuse that money to buy more rental properties, the cash flow from the rental properties that I, that I don't get for myself, pay off the line of credit. Typically one house will pay off
1: two or three lines of credit. That's awesome. I, again, that's just such a great method. Are you airbnb any of these properties? I heard that in your vocabulary as we were talking, or are you just doing all these month-to-month rentals with you know, blue collar workers? Month. I did Airbnb for a little bit, but Airbnb is still a job unless you hire that
0: out as well. And then there's just too many, there's just too many people touching your money. Then I I like what I do because it's, it takes up one hour of my day typically or two and then that's it I'm
1: home free for the right. Yeah. I mean, I, and I like what you said, how Airbnb is basically another job because you need to change sheets. You need to wipe down floors, kitchen, bathroom, you know, you have to turn over unless you're hiring out. And again, too many people touching your money by the time, you know, it funnels down to a, uh, if you have a, a virtual assistant taking care of you know calls or messages from Airbnb, people. Then you have the cleaning crew, and then you have Airbnb taking their fee. By the time it gets back down to you, you know, the check's not as significant as a month-to-month rental.
0: Exactly. And I've also noticed that banks are still not Airbnb friendly. So mm-hmm. if you report that, they don't take it month to month. They take it year on year. So they're going to look at what you did year on year, and if there's way too much difference between like February and August, uh, like most cities will. Um, some of the times they don't even take that. They won't even take it. They'll just say, okay, it's just the wash. Like they won't count your cash flow; They'll just count it as your DTI is zero on that property.
1: Right. Yeah. Which could be, you know, a huge issue. What is the, the goal for you? Like, do you have a goal set for 2020 being that we're not too far into the year? Are you going to continue buying these split levels, converting them into basically six bedrooms or what's the, uh, the future look like for you? Sure. So, um, clearly by
0: our podcast so far, I'm a man of faith. And I really felt like this year in my spirit, I'm only gonna buy four rental properties. Now that kind of sucks because I'm already uh, gonna be on my third. <laughs> so I'll be done pretty quickly this year. And then I'm gonna sit on the sidelines for the rest of the year. Honestly though, um, I really feel like, and this isn't a political stance of any of any sort, so don't take it as that um, for your listeners. But for me, I'm really interested to see who the next president is gonna be. And that's gonna determine whether I sit on the sidelines for the next couple of years or I continue to purchase. Right. Um, the president that we have now is very real estate friendly. Um, again, this is not a political stance. I don't care for that at all. But personally, um, you know, with, with whoever's in office right now, is doing well for the housing market. So um, if if um, President Trump stays in office, then I'll probably stay in the game the next four years. And if he doesn't, I'll wait to see who gets involved and see what kind of um, real estate mind they have, and that'll determine. Yeah, I got- aggressive again, four years or stand on the sidelines.
1: Yeah. Because I mean, again, that can fluctuate the market completely. I mean, we've had, and again, not going to get political on the listeners here cause I I'm not a huge politic fan, but you know, this is the best time we've ever had for the stock market for the real estate market, you know, values that are all time high. So it's great. Everyone's, everyone's living lavishly, but once a correction comes or someone else is in office, it's going to hurt a lot of people who aren't doing things right or over leveraged in the market. Um, So we kind of now, we broke down how your deals work, how you're funding them, what you're doing and and the systems you have in place, which is great. Um, How are you finding these deals? How are you finding these properties? How are you able to buy them below market value? So I'd love to tell you that I have a secret formula or there's a secret juice or
0: secret sauce that I have to do that. But what I can tell you is (laughs) very simply, no one that I know is looking for a three bedroom, one bath, no master with a giant loft, two car garage. So I don't have any competition in my area. Um, People aren't looking to buy those properties. The MLS in the morning, and nope, nothing there. Oh, look, there's one, let's go look at it. I underbid (laughs) by like 30 grand. I I usually underbid 10,000 more than I think the construction is going to be. And rarely do I miss them, simply because like I said, no one's buying these properties.
1: Yeah, and I think that the market that you're competing with for this is owner occupants, but. If there are properties that you're going under market for or need some work to it, owner occupants really aren't looking at that. Maybe the only other person that you'd be competing with are flippers. But if the if the property's worth that much, they're not really going for these properties at these price points. They're looking for, you know, I'm assuming below the 100,000 mark to build all this value in the property. So again, your competition's down to nil. So you hit a real good niche in your market and it's really nice. I like that a lot. Nobody's really looking
0: for a three bedroom, no true master. I mean, my properties don't have restrooms in the rooms at all. So a family's not going to need that. Uh, Like you said, a flipper, maybe,
1: but like you said. But not at this price point. He's not going to buy it. So (laughs) So that's nice. I mean, you don't have to rush over to a property as soon as it get listed and get in a multiple offer situation. I'm sure it has happened before, but I'm not very often at all. If there's multiple offers, I just, all right, whatever. What uh, real estate specific tools are you looking or are you using throughout the day for either that's property management stand?
0: Sure. So we use a lot of Dropbox, a lot of realtor.com simply because like I said, I have no competition, so I can look at the property uh, online and be like, Oh, it's going to be there tomorrow. Cause no one's looking for that property. Um, yeah. Like I said, I'd love to tell your listeners that there's a secret sauce, but there's not find a good niche that you fit in that you know what to do with and just exploit that, you know, as hard as you can. Um, don't, don't try. One of the other things that I tell people all the time is don't try to learn um, a bunch of new skills and wear a bunch of different hats. Dude, wear the hat that you have and just be really good at that one hat and the rest of the stuff higher out and you're going to be just fine.
1: Yeah. I mean, specialize in one area. You don't have a brain surgeon doing eye surgery or foot surgery too. They're specializing in that one area. They train in that one area. I mean, just like an attorney, you have a divorce attorney, a real estate attorney, you know, you, you train in that one area and you do it and you master it and that's what you're going to be doing. So people who are like, yeah, I'll do some flips, but then I'll do, you know, some burrs, I'll do some syndication. It's just like those three things don't mix at all. They're very, very yeah. different. Get that's in and good. do what you're good at and just do it really well and then hire out what you're not. Obviously knowledge is power and a lot of people, the more knowledge they have, the more they're learning, the better they can do with real estate investing or anything overall. When you were learning, when you were uh, learning the terminology, the methods, or even just how real estate works as a whole, what were those uh, books or those resources that you were using to educate yourself? Sure. So when I first started, got to say Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? Oh, uh, yeah. I what's that? Dad, Who's that by? I've never heard of that
0: one. Uh, right? Who's that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rich Dad, Poor Dad was a really good book. Um, but I think one of the ones that really did it for me was um, The Richest Man in Babylon, mm. Worst Read. But if you can get through it, I still think about that book to this day. It's a great, um, it's a great auto, audio book <laughs> because-
1: Yeah, because you can't sit down and read the whole thing front and back in the day. A terrible <laughs> read.
0: Um, and then, you know, I would challenge you listeners not as, a, not as a faith compliment here, but if they read the book of Proverbs, even from just a secular view, even just as a, as, as just a read, the book of Proverbs is really, 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 um, gives you good tactical advice on how to handle your finances and how to live your life to where um, you're probably gonna be set up pretty good. Another book that I love is called Life in Air, like Millionaire, but Life in Air. Um, have you heard it?
1: I haven't heard of that one. Life in Air.
0: Life in Air is a really good book. It taught me the difference between rich and wealth. So that's, that's a really, really good
1: one. Yeah, get into that rich and wealth, because I know you asked me to uh, remind you of that a little okay. bit later on, so please dive in.
0: A good spot, okay. So I quickly realized the difference between rich and wealth when I was spending a lot of my time to cash flow these properties that I was looking for multifamilies before I started these single family things. They cash flow great, multifamilies are great for cash flow, but they take up a lot of time. And even if you have a real, uh, someone managing them for you, you have to manage them, right? So you still have a job. What I quickly realized was, there, I would, when I saw a rich man and a wealthy man the the common, or I'm sorry, the, the not so common denominator or the X factor, if you will, was time. I realized that the wealthy man had time. The rich man had money and not always did the rich man's life come or not always did the rich man have life with that. Yeah. He was working extremely hard. He was crushing it. He was made he, he drove the Ferrari or whatever you want to call it. Um, he was never at home. He just wasn't. And I realized that the wealthy man, um, typically had maybe not as much money as a rich man, but he had all the time in the world to enjoy it. And I tell my mentees, because I, I mentor a couple people, and I tell them all the time, I'm like, look, there's nothing wrong with having you know, millions of dollars, but how comfortable would you be living in the $500,000, 600000 a year mark? That's pretty sexy, dude. Like, oh, yeah. if, you, if you're making six figures and past that 500000 mark, That's a pretty good living. Like if you're going to be making millions, you're going to be managing a lot of people. You're going to be, there's going to be a lot of stress. I don't know many millionaires, millionaires. A lot of time spent working really. Exactly. Um, And a perfect example of this is, um, I I would challenge you listeners to see Brandon Turner's Instagram. He to me is a wealthy man. Yes, he is. He has money. Like I said, time, money, family, right? He seems very happy. Um, and, and, and I know that I, and I know him, uh, that he is. So that's a wealthy man, time, money, uh, and family. Now there's tons of examples of rich men. You Just Google them, right? They're mm-hmm. the guys that are never home. They're still working nine to nine every day or eight to eight. Um, and probably have the same net worth as Brandon. So I'm just using them as an example.
1: Right. Which but is a great all example. That,
0: all that to say that is the difference between rich <clears throat> and wealth. And I chase wealth. I chase, I chase time. I don't, I don't chase, um, riches and life in there really taught me that.
1: And, and I think again, that's great because if we take, you know, wealth and we have time, money, family, we take out one of those words, you're now rich. You take out time, you just have money and family. You're not using any time with to use that money or be with that family. Or if you have time and money, but you don't have family, that's great. Like go have fun, but you don't really have anyone to grow with. So that's huge. That's the difference. Like I said, once I figured that out then I started,
0: um, you know, just investing for that, for my time, not for my money.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's great. What were you, uh, what were you doing before all this when you got out of college and you were working, what were you doing? Sure. So my goal was to be a police officer here in the city
0: of Nashville. That was my ultimate goal. Um, three days into the police academy, um, a police officer told me, <clears throat> or I'm sorry, the training officer told me to leave. He said, "Quote, believe we have enough Latino police officers here in the city. You can leave." Was wow. it? I was told to leave. I thought it was bantering. I came back. He wrote me up. He said, "Next time you're going to be hit with trespassing on private property." Wow. You're serious. <laughs> well, I'm sometimes God has uh, so here, other plans. Oh, dude, trust me, I am completely okay with it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I am way, way off, way better
0: off than. Uh, And if I would have been in the police department, a hundred.
1: Now, do you think if you did the police department, you would have ever gotten into any real estate investing at all? Or probably not. No, there's no way. (laughs) Yep. So, I mean, I think that's awesome that, you know, something in your life happened that you were prepared to go into this one field and you're basically your whole world got rocked. You got kicked out for literally doing nothing. You made a great opportunity for yourself. And now you have wealth because you do have money off of these properties. You have time and you have family. And now you can spend time with that family and you have that money to support them. So I really like how, I really, really like how you break down riches and wealth and how those three words really work together. Um,
0: A lot of people in, uh, you know, as you know, I'm a man of faith, but like even at church, I get told all the time, like, it's not all about money, Felipe. You know, you don't need to be chasing money all the time. And and unless we sit down for coffee, they don't understand that I'm not chasing money. Um, But at the same time, money is not the most important thing in my life but it does affect the most important things in my life, which is my son and my wife. So I can't feed my son and my wife love. I'm not going to give them a plate full of love, right? Um, right, right. Give them a, pl- a plate for of hot food that's, that's purchased with money. Yep. Um, so I, 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 you know, I search for the wealth because um, I know that it affects the things I love. So I use right. money as a vehicle, not as a slave master, if you will.
1: Yeah, no, and you're 100% right because, you know, Helps you are going to put a roof over the head, you know? And even if you want to give that money, you know, bless someone or, or give to someone else, you can't do that without money. I'm not saying you need money to do it, but a good way to do it is to have money and be able to do all those things that you want to do. So that's huge. Um, and again, that's why I wanted to have you on the show because I I've listened to you before. I know what kind of guy you are. You're very personal in these things and you're a faith driven guy and you're doing things the right way. You're not cutting corners for those listeners who have never invested in real estate, they're looking to get started or even they're in real estate now and they're looking to scale up higher, get more active in the real estate investing community. What advice would you give them? Do not say education because everyone says that I need something different here. Don't say Don't say what? Don't say education. Everyone says that I need something different.
0: Uh, Okay. Um, I would say, don't be afraid to do the ugly jobs that pay well. For example, a plumber will not get out of his truck for less than $150 <clears throat> Excuse me, in my area. So <clears throat> don't be afraid to do those hard jobs um, if you want to start raising capital or save money <clears throat> for real estate and things like that. Yes, education is great, but even earlier you said um, knowledge is power and I would have to respectfully disagree in that. It's not the knowledge that's power. It's the application of that knowledge that's power. So if two things to your answer there, for, for <clears throat> rookie investors, I would say, um, you know, find the job that's gonna pay you the most amount of money in your area, whether it's hard, easy, you hate it, you love it. It doesn't matter because you know that you're gonna leverage that job and that money towards real estate. Second, yes, get a bunch of knowledge, but if you're not applying it, then it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how many books you read. It doesn't matter how much um, real estate uh, masterminds you're in or whatever. If you're not applying that knowledge, then it's it's doing nothing for you. And we talk a lot about that in my mastermind with my guys and ladies. That um, everything I'm teaching you and telling you is nice and dandy, but if you don't put it to work, it's not going to work. It's not going to do anything inside your head.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, applying the tools that you've acquired, it's like having a tool belt. With, you know. Use the tools in the tool belt. There's no point in having it. You just waste yeah. the money on buying it. That's some really good advice. Anything else you'd like to leave listeners before we sign off here? We're approaching just about the hour mark. Oh, sorry.
0: Yeah. Um, no, you're good. <laughs> oh, <I> mean, no. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, no, I mean, if they want to find me, you know, I'm, I'm on Instagram, Felipe Mejia, uh, REI, they can find me there just to kind of follow me at what I do. Um, but aside from that, man, I think we've, we've covered it pretty well. I think your, I think your podcast is pretty awesome.
1: I love it. Awesome, thank you, Felipe. I, I would definitely suggest reaching out to Felipe or following him on Instagram because his Instagram is really real. He's going to show you know the rough and tough of digging new new sewer through you know all that good stuff. I mean, it's not just the the glam and the glitter that you show. You show it all, and that's real. And I think people need to see that aspect of it as well. They don't just need to see the great cash flow, the pretty looking properties. They need to see you know. The, the bad as well because you're realistic about things. So that's awesome.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, I, I love that. I get to be real on my Instagram because people do comment me quite a bit saying that they appreciate the real and they they, they can tell that, you know, I'm I'm really out there. I'm really digging the holes and I'm really the one out there. I'm <clears throat> um, doing the work that I can do. Um, and, and that's why I've been able to be successful. I'm not scared of you know, a little bit of hard work. It's
1: not going to kill you. Yeah. Amen to that, brother. Felipe, thank you so much for being on the podcast this evening. I really look forward to hearing your podcast with Bigger Pockets and Ashley for uh, Real Estate Rookies. So thank you so much. And I really appreciate everyone tuning in this evening to the show. Thanks for having me, man. You have a good rest of your night. Thanks for listening. We hope you
0: took something away from today's episode. For more information, you can find us on Instagram at Dante Belmonte.
1: See you next time.